The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and in fact, all small business, and we're heard right around the world, same time, every week. Thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. Now, a couple of days ago, I attended a great presentation by Salim Ismail from the Cutting Edge Singularity University in California, who addressed the amazing changes that are taking place in the world with business, governments, education and other organisations all try to cope with the extraordinary changes that are taking place across the planet on a daily basis. Now, Sally Margan argued that all our institutions are based on linear predictions and are geared to deal with 20th century communications and 20th century technology and this will cause major disruptions to society, not only in the future but today. Salem believes that despite the extraordinary changes that we're experiencing every day, we are less than 1% into the technological revolution. So with everything that's changed and all the dramatic changes and everything that's happened over the past few years and the speeding up of communication and computers and whatever else, we are less than 1% into the revolution. So that, that's something to look forward to, 99% more of the changes that we've been through in the last couple of years, or well, last five years, I suppose. He gave a number of examples of these changes. For example, it cost $1 billion to crack the human genome, which determined the sequence of chemical-based pairs which make up DNA, and then identifying and mapping the somewhere around 25,000 genes of the human genome from both a physical and functional standpoint. So that cost a billion dollars for the first one. But now the cost of cracking individual genomes is less than one dollar. So the cost has decreased from one billion to one dollar in just five years. Now that's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, extra, no, it's about 10 years. Now, Salim also argued that because of the massive technological changes and the inability of countries to gear up to address this strategy and this technology, there will be a rise in the power and autonomy of city-states and a decline in national countries. So cities are going to become more important. 
and become more self-contained uh, and countries aren't going to be quite so important. So, And also it says that within a few years it'll be impossible for countries to limit communication of their citizens on the internet because the satellite structures that's being put in place by people like Yahoo. So within 10 years, everyone on the planet will have a mini tablet, which will also double as a phone and cost a maximum of $25, providing vast amounts of information and news to everyone. I mean, it was really a thought-provoking presentation and, and illustrated just how much everything is going to change and is changing and how ill-prepared we all are for that change. So this got me thinking and each week, you know, I have a segment called Bob's Thought for the Day, which are quotes that really get us to think. And usually this segment's about something practical for business like customer service or some other aspect of day-to-day business. But as a result of Salem's presentation, I thought I would look at a number of predictions for the year 2030. And so I looked up a number of experts and what their predictions were. And the first of these predictions is that learning a second language will no longer be necessary. We'll all have tiny computers that fit into our ear and will instantly do all the translations for us. Now, this one doesn't surprise me because, you know, I speak all over the world at conferences and you can go into a conference where there's 30 different languages being spoken and, you know, translation is instantaneous there. And so seeing that um, go throughout the community is not surprising. Now, it's predicted that by the year 2030, millions of people millions, will live beyond 150 years old. And by 2100, which after all is only 90 years away, many people will likely live to over 200 years old. Now, that's pretty scary. I look at all the wrinkles and lines I've got now. God, just imagine adding another 100 years of wrinkles and lines onto that, not to mention inches around the waist. And the third prediction, I think, is a terrific one. By 2030, only 2% of the world's population will live in extreme poverty. And that percentage is currently over 20%. So we'll reduce poverty in the world by 90% in the next 20 years. And as you may know, there's an agricultural revolution on, you know, that's going on now and more and more crops are being grown in high-rise buildings where you allot the first, say, top 10 floors or five floors to growing crops. And this is humongously successful. And the output of produce is phenomenal, much better than you get um, with regular agriculture. And it's um, anticipated that by 2030, the best foods are going to be grown in 30 or 40 storey greenhouses allowing us to lo- to produce a lot more food for a lot less money and re- releasing a whole huge amount of land for nature. We're also now all familiar with the Google driverless car. Well, by the year 2030, it is anticipated that most of the cars on the road will be driverless. So 
we'll have lots of people sitting around painting their nails and putting on their eyeshadow and talking on the phone while the car drives itself. I think that's pretty cool. It's also anticipated that by 2030, at least 40,000 people will be working in space. 40,000 working in space as space tourism becomes much more common. And the last prediction for 2030, depending on how you look at it, I guess, is a really scary one. It's anticipated that a large number of people will have robot lovers. Now, when you ask people if they'd like to have a robot lover, they think of metal and wires and awkward moments of blank stare (laughs) and perhaps friction. (laughs) However, in just 20 years, your robot partner will look, feel, sound and even speak like you do. Robots will be physically indistinguishable from humans. I reckon that's a great idea. And if you decide to leave them, you don't have to give them the house. I mean, how good is that? So, wow, in just 20 years, if these predictions are correct, the world will be one hell of an interesting place, to say the least. Now, we often talk on this program about the need for businesses to continue to differentiate themselves from their competitors, you know, if you want to be successful. And that uh, Harvard says that 46 out of 51 categories of business are commoditized, which means that the customer can't tell the difference between any of the brands in the category. So if you want to be successful today, you've got to build a business that's going to stand the test of time, be different, and increase return on investment. Well, in Taiwan, Let's Coffee has killed them. They have come up with a great one. They've got 2,000 outlets, and it's a vending machine coffee company. Now, they've increased sales 400% while dramatically increasing margins by allowing people who want a cup of coffee to walk up to the machine, input photos from their smartphone into the vending machine, and then the machine reproduces that photograph in the foam on the top of the coffee. So you get your coffee and it's got your head on the top of the coffee and it's brilliant. I mean, it just looks like a photograph. I mean, the quality is phenomenal. So I have to say that I think the new photocopy, photo printing coffee machine, it's fantastic. It's wowing drink coffee drinkers right across Taiwan. The quality's phenomenal and it totally differentiate them, differentiates them from their competitors and it has enabled them to do phenomenal business. And the whole process is really straightforward. So when you're ordering a latte, for example, you're prompted to snap a photo on your smartphone before sending it to the machine. And at the end of the coffee-making process, the machine prints the photo on the phone using edible brown powder. And you can also add text to that as well if you want to. Now, that's really creative. I have had a chance to see it about a week or so ago. It is phenomenal. So it's time to ask yourself, What am I doing that is really changing the way that I do business and that's bringing in and exciting more customers? And if you're like most businesses, the answer is probably nothing. So there's millions of ways to change the way you do business and to differentiate yourself. You just need to think about it. I love that. I think that is absolutely brilliant.
Now, over the past few months, we on this program have been really promoting the benefits of mobile marketing. I mean, really pushing it because it works and it works better than any other marketing on the planet. It is fantastic. And a new study by Retail Me Not has certainly reinforced what we've been saying. The Senior Vice President of Retail Me Not, John Faith, said this week that serving up the right content at the right time in the shopping cycle, it's the difference between a completed transaction and a consumer who just walks out of the store. And that's the last thing that any retailer wants. The study suggests that mobile shoppers are deal hunters. It shows that 33% of consumers had conducted a search on a mobile device for an inline for an online coupon while in the store. Additionally, 26% of consumers bought something in a physical store using a mobile coupon. So 26% of consumers bought in the store using a mobile coupon. And the research suggests that this practice is rapidly accelerating. But the most important figure that I saw in the research was that 63% of consumers said that if they received a a mobile coupon while they were already in the store, they would likely buy it because being in the store, they were already in shopping mode. It's also interesting, I found that 71% of consumers under 34 years old use their mobile phones for, for a coupon that was then used for an online sale. And just to show the oldies are catching up, 40%. 2% of the over 35 said they were doing the same thing. So coupons while received in a store or coupons while online shopping increase sales dramatically. And an extraordinary 80% of consumers say they use their mobile devices to research their buying decisions with 45% of those saying that they had searched online for mobile coupons. So it's obvious that what we've been saying about using location-aware technologies can dramatically increase your business, irrespective of what it is. So if you're in the retail business, you're in a bricks-and-store, bricks-and-mortar business, you have unprecedented opportunity to incentivize customers to make a purchase in-store. So, as I've been saying for months, have a look into mobile location marketing because it's really going to be the big influencer on retail sales. Now, for all you BlackBerry users, you know, you all thought that um, your device was going the way of the dinosaur. Seems that less and less people talk about their Blackberries. There seems to be a, you know, who's got them? It used to be the buzz. Now it's not. But there seems to have been a bit of a glimmer of hope in the last three months. The sales plunge that BlackBerry had experienced declined with BlackBerry delivering nearly 8 million smartphones in the last quarter. 8 million. So this resurgence, it's probably due to the 76 million subscribers that they've got already upgrading to the new models. Maybe it's not new customers, but they still have to do a lot of catching up, but they have time to do that before the new iPhone arrives. However, while they sold 8 million phones in the quarter, it is important 
to keep that in perspective. In the same period, Apple shopped about 40 million smartphones. So Apple's still whipping them five to one, but at least they've flattened out. And uh, while we've been talking about mobile advertising, it's important to note that all of the big guys, Twitter, Facebook, BuzzFeed, and all the rest of them, don't offer a mobile-specific format. I must admit, up until a few months ago, I thought that for a mobile, you needed a specific format um, because of the size of the screen and the way it was displayed. But that ain't so anymore. All these big companies are offering ads that work just as well on mobile as they do on desktops, despite the fact that as much, if not more, revenue is coming from smartphones and tablet devices than from desktops. Now, Say Media this week rolled out adaptive display ads, and these use response design technology to adapt the shape and the content to the size and the shape of the screen. And this is fantastic. So instead of having separate conversations about desktop and mobile ads, their salespeople can just focus on selling the advertising on simple cross-platform programs. Selling different formats for different devices is a pain in the ass. It's inefficient for everybody both on the buying side and the selling side. The only reality is that today, the boundary between mobile and desktop advertising is blurring and becoming increasingly obsolete. Now, don't forget this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person that's listening to the show. You're out there looking for tips on how to be more successful and we're here to deliver them to you. So please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer you on air or we'll email you directly. You're listening to the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, while audiences are great in all 50 states of the US, the major markets in the US for this program are California, Texas, Illinois, Nevada and Louisiana. Why I've got a following in Louisiana, I don't know, but I'm very grateful for it. And while 85% of our listening audience is based in the US, we have listeners in about 100 countries across the globe, and the best international markets for the Bob Pritchard Radio Show are Germany, United Kingdom, Australia, and Vietnam. For listeners, no matter where you are in the world, we thank you for listening. Now, when I visited the network offices a couple of weeks ago in Phoenix, which I might add is 118 degrees, why on earth you live in Phoenix? Well, I have no idea. Um, My wonderful general manager, Brandy, told me that she thought my publicity photo connected to the program was boring and dreary. So we're in the process of changing it. So next time you look, you'll have a casual-looking, smiling Bob Pritchard, and we hope you like it a lot better. You know, the, the program will still contain the same old bullshit, but I will look like I'm enjoying it a lot more, which, of course, I am. My first guest today is Benjamin Oberman, who's an entertainment executive and former producer, writer, and director. 
Now, here's a guy who really thought outside the box, and he's established a unique way of getting audiences for independent movies. We also have another Make Your Pitch segment where we talk with the directors of Firefly Capital, a fund manager that only invests in apps and is producing an annual return of 52%. That is phenomenal, 52%. And they've got a great story to tell, and they will be on after the break. So this is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back in a moment with today's guests. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show, where we try to give you an insight into the lives of some of the most interesting and extraordinary people and find out what it is that perhaps make them tick to give us a few clues on what we should do ourselves. You know, most of the people that I've ever met that do different and extraordinary things, they began life in average, pretty ordinary circumstances like most of us. What makes them take on interesting and unusual projects? And what makes them great? Well, that's what we try to find out. My guest today is Benjamin Oberman, an entertainment executive and a former producer, writer, director. His unique perspective on the process of being an independent filmmaker has allowed him to be at the forefront of the creation, development and implementation of the film festival Flicks, as well as acquisition and development of Mousetrap Films Film Library. As we all know, content is king. In a career spanning 15 years in the entertainment industry, Benjamin's produced three feature-length documentaries. He's executive produced and produced the feature narrative film Ornaments. He's developed eight feature narrative scripts, including Wildwood Inn. For television, he's developed an original one-hour drama series, The Edge. 
He's written, directed and produced four branded entertainment internet viral videos and cable commercials for Sega Entertainment and USA Gameworks, as well as producing multiple national commercials and PSAs and created, produced and executive produced the Adventure Relay Race Extreme Tower Relay. So our friend Benjamin has done one hell of a lot. But interestingly, and this was interesting to me because... As those of you who listen to this program know, I was involved with Katarina Witt and uh, Robin Cousins for quite a long while. And uh, prior to his career in entertainment, Benjamin was a world-class figure skater. Professional highlights include the 2002 Olympic Games, Radio City Christmas Spectacular starring the Rockettes, and the role of Chuck Cranston in Footloose on Ice with Nancy Kerrigan. And he was also a figure skating consultant on the DreamWorks Paramount Pictures film Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell. That's pretty good. I like this guy already. Benjamin, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. How are you? I'm great, Bob. Thanks for having me. So, that's a big step from figure skating to uh, film producing? Looking backwards, it makes perfect sense. Back when I was figure skating, I would have never in a million years told you that I'd be where I am today. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I was. I I got quite heavily involved in um, in figure skating for a while and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. had had a lot of fun. Um, so, what is Film Festival Flicks? Film Festival Flicks is a platform that we have developed that. The idea being that there are great films in this world that premiere on the festival circuit. They qualify, they win awards, yeah. and traditionally they would never, never be seen again. And a lot of the reason for that was because there was a gap and nobody knew how to market a film that was just good. Right. If it didn't have an A-list star or a best-selling novel, or it was just relevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it just disappeared, and so looking at why film festivals were becoming more and more successful, why uh, event-driven uh, premieres like the Banff Mountain Film Festival World Tour or Warren Miller uh, or other events I've been to over the years, we, we kind of conceived this platform that we could take the experience that few people have as insiders at the exclusive festivals around the world, and we could bring them to people in their hometown every single month. And util using that opportunity get people to come out and see films that we knew that they would talk about. And because of the community nature and everything that goes along with it, we knew that the press would cover it. And so it's become a platform to help launch films into the uh, general awareness of the world uh, while also building an online community for people who care about quality content and would and appreciate a curated site so where they don't necessarily know what the film is, but they know that there's a certain standard of quality to it, so it's not going to be a waste of their time and money. Are they all uh, films that um, do well at film festivals, or could it be any film at a film festival that um, you deem as good? Uh, it's, it's really any, any film that we deem as good. Uh, we look at, you know, do you care about the character? Do you get involved in the story? Do you care what's going to happen to them? Do you get taken on a journey to where you don't, think about other things you'd rather do with your life, and at the end of it, do you feel satisfied with your experience? As it happens, most of them have won awards, and that's probably because they were good films, yeah. but it's not, 
we, we look at the award second and the film first. Right. So after the festival, you then take the film out into the marketplace, sort of mini-market by mini-market. Is that what you do? Yes. Over the course of a two- to three-week period each month, we tour the film with these red carpet events to community by community, and in some places, like the larger cities, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, right. it's often a one-night event. Right. In other cities like Palm Springs, Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, it's the opening to a one-week run in theaters. But day and date with as we're doing that, our goal is that when people either have the experience and tell their friends or people hear about the experience, that they can immediately find the film anyway, anywhere that they're used to shopping. So we offer it directly on our digital platform. We offer it through our Facebook page. And we also then have it available on the cable VOD platforms, Internet like iTunes, Xbox, Vudu. Uh, we put it usually within a couple months into uh, home video retailers. And then later down the line, it will make its way to Netflix. So it really, it, it really is um, um, films being driven by word of mouth because they're good films. Absolutely. I there, it would be cost prohibitive to try to do a traditional marketing campaign sure. and try to compete against the studios. And so we went the opposite way of just saying we know that people will talk about the films. The question is, how do you get them to watch it? I think I think that I think that's a wonderful idea. So, what inspired you to start this? You were, did you go straight from skating into producing? Is that and then? Well, I. I, I I went from skating to ABC Sports and then ABC Sports to live entertainment and from live entertainment to TV and film. Yes. And along the way, I was starting to become increasingly frustrated with seeing, you know, really good films that we were working on that were packaged, not getting financed while crap was getting made. Yeah. And I was also seeing great films that were cutting through thousands of submissions to get into film festivals never to be seen again. And I initially said, well, there's obviously, I know there's an audience who wants to see this, and there's obviously films that meet this criteria. Nobody's bridging the gap because it was, it's too small to move the needle for a studio. Yes. And other people just hadn't looked that way. So it initially started very simply as just to fulfill a gap in the marketplace, which then, of course, led to discovering the, the challenge in marketing and that is where I started polling people when I went to festivals, and I would ask them what they were there to see. Yeah. And the, the average answer was, whatever's playing at 2 p.m. Yeah. And I said, well, do, do you know what the film's called? No. Do you know who's in it? No. I said, do you know what it's about? No. Yes. I said, well, why are you here? And they said, well, because we just we figured if it's in the festival, it must be good. We wanted to be a part of it. and We know this, it's going to be a good we, film. Yeah, and then they said, we can't get in at nighttime, so we wanted to be a part of the experience. And that was when kind of the light bulb went off of saying, ironically, like the key to marketing one of these films is to not market the film, but to create an event that can lead sure. people to see the film. Sure, absolutely. So the you'd be relying on making it an event, um, a red carpet type event in each of these smaller markets so that you don't have to spend that much money on advertising the film. It's all about come along to the event. Is that how That's it works? Right. Okay. That's right. It's, it's, it's the same night every single month. So in 
Denver, Colorado, for example, it's the third Thursday of every month. In Los Angeles at, at LA Live, it's the second Wednesday of every month. And people look forward to it, and, in, and each time they can come out, they can have a red carpet experience, yeah. see a film. They'll get to meet one of the filmmakers that we travel from around the world. And then they have an after party where they can socialize, connect, they can meet the filmmakers, they can meet other people in the industry, and have a great time. I think that's a great. I think that's a great idea. And once you go to those, I, I um, I'm an Aussie, obviously, and I've, although I've been here 25 years, but I belong to Australians in Film, and uh, mm-hmm. they have an event on a regular, irregular basis. And uh, you go along for the for the opportunity to see a film. You usually don't know much about it, but it's the it's the total environment that um, gets the theatre full every every few weeks or whenever. Absolutely. But we, uh, and we've done three Australian films. You should have come out. Oh, I don't think I was invited, but I know I will be from now on, right? Um, Absolutely. Well, it was, it was on the Australians in Film page. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's been huge changes in movie distribution, and, but there's been also been big changes in the audiences that uh, you need to target because revenue is predominantly international rather than domestic. So how has the distribution for independent films changed, um, bearing in mind that we're now, well, theoretically, in, a, in an international environment? Sure. I, it, I, gosh, I mean, not even five years ago, DVD was a major component. A distributor would open up LA New York, get their New York Times review, the LA Times review. They would spend, uh, you know, depending on a, a small release, anywhere between fifty dollars to $100,000, but they knew that that was going to be marketing to get the DVD sales. Mm. The DVD sales are pretty much gone, other than Redbox, like Blockbuster, uh, yeah. you know, all those things have diminished to where that's not there. And, of course, iTunes in the digital age has risen, sure. but, no, but nobody knows how well your film is really doing until you get your statements. And we've passed the point where there's so much volume, it's no longer about getting onto the platforms because just because you're on iTunes doesn't mean that anybody's going to find it. Sure. So, so sure. I think we're at the phase now of, of much in the way of like we've kind of passed the big box retail stores that I think the same thing's happened. You've got Amazon, you've got Walmart, you've got iTunes, you've got all these various platforms. And so now the, the challenge for distribution is saying, how am I going to cut through and get people to discover my film and choose to watch it over everything else that's available? Yeah. So I, I think that for a lot of people, you know, the money is different, expectations. People still believe that they're going to have a home run and they're going to just put it up there and it's going to be a huge opening. And that's not the case either. I think we're looking now, unless you're a studio film, at more of the long-tail investment you know, how can you keep churning the library over the next 15 years? How can you find ways to tap into audiences and go beyond just come out and have a fun time? Yeah. And I, I go ahead. No, sorry, go on. I was, was going to say, and I think that for filmmakers, that's something that before they make their film, they need to sit back and ask the question, who's my audience and how am I going to reach them before they ever begin? Because just just going and making a film and getting into a festival doesn't really get you much anymore except yeah. a lot of that and there's so this proliferation of media I mean it's 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 been extraordinary really when you look at it and um, that 
just has to have changed distribution dramatically. Absolutely, it's like there's the right. You know, you've got aggregators now that have risen up, but even them, they're starting to see in their model that now that there's such a glut in the volume, they're gonna, they're having to figure out how they can market and get placement. The sales agents are figuring out that their world is changing, and they may have to start becoming distributors. Right. Distribution now is more about marketing than traditional distribution, which was getting it from point A to point B. Yeah. So. <laughs> I guess the marketing is totally different because there's so much um, on things like WIG and those things that, um, and they're all driven virally, aren't they? They are. We're in a social media age. One of the pieces we offer to filmmakers is the ability that we are going to tour them around the country and introduce them directly to audiences who will connect with them and care about them. But ironically, a lot of artists are very shy they didn't go into it. They haven't realized that the world has changed to where they're going to have to do that, and so they, you know, they, they either are very uncomfortable or they refuse to do it, and, and their film suffers for it because unless you're going to spend fifty million dollars on TV advertising, it's not worth spending a dime on it. Yeah. What is yeah, it? Sure. What is worth spending time is cultivating an audience through social media, community interaction, going, shaking hands, becoming friends with people inviting them to learn who you are and to care about your career. And to a large degree, your most most of the bigger movies, they um, they stand on their own two feet. If you go along and see Man of Steel and you hate it, it doesn't rub off on anything. But if you go along to one of your events and you love the movie and you love the event, then irrespective of what the next movie is, you'll go along because of the total environment. Yes, you're completely right. We, it's, and it's completely opposite. It, we, we realize that it's like a community. Everything has to support the next, which is why we're so careful when we choose films that despite the many things we look at, I always say, both serious and joking, that if I start thinking of other things I'd rather do with my life while I watch your film, then we pass. Yeah, yeah. So what criteria do you look for in films? I, well, it starts with that one, uh, that sure. you have to engage me because I'm counting on repeat business, but also in, in the digital age. My wife and I all the time, it's like if we're watching a movie and we're not engaged in the first 20 minutes, yeah. we turn it off and we either look for something else or we both pull out the computer and start working. <laughs> now, there's an indictment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, we, I, we look at the characters, uh, you know, for, first and foremost, like, do, do I care about the character? Because if I don't care about him, I don't yep. care what happens to him. Along the way, you then do get I involved. get taken on... Yeah, it's like, do I get taken on a journey that pulls me in and, and keeps my attention? Am I... Um, along the way, am I challenged, entertained, enlightened? Am I thinking of things that either make me think about myself or am I just being swept away? If it's... Uh, romantic comedy, I know that it's not going to necessarily elicit a lot of deep conversation, but I know it's an easy download on date night. Right. If it's a more difficult film about, uh, you know, some sort of social issue or an ailment or a justice or war or something, is it is it going to create uh, a, a, something in me that makes me want to rush out and tell somebody about this film? Yeah. Because 
we all come home from work exhausted. So if it's a choice between a, com a Will Ferrell comedy or a film about genocide, I'm probably going to take the light one unless somebody's told me that I have to watch this other film about genocide. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So, and it's like we've seen some absolutely incredible films, but they didn't elicit conversation, and so we had to sit there and say, it's a great film, there is a place for it, but not in our theatrical network because it doesn't, it doesn't con convert to the next level. So how many movies a year would you get behind? Right now, this first year, we, we got behind 12 films, one a month, one a month and yeah. we're now, we're, we're now uh, increasing in the third quarter of 2013 to two films, and by uh, 2014, we'll be doing at least two films a month, uh, possibly occasionally adding in a third. So it would be kind of a, a documentary film for a cause series. Our main feature, which is anything from romantic comedy to foreign language to drama, thriller, sure. and then occasionally in select markets, a, a late night series, sort of your midnight madness, where it's the horror, thriller, yep. grindhouse genre for places that people actually stay up past 10 p.m. <laughs> so that rules out the middle of the country. Um, so who's your competition? We don't really have any. Uh, we've partnered with everybody. We, we've partnered with the film festivals. We've partnered with the theaters. We've even partnered with other distributors where our platform as we're aggregating this and building this community of independent film enthusiasts, we've said, well, this should be for all independent films. So uh, companies like Drafthouse Films have become yep. a partner, and we're, and we're actually opening up one of their films uh, as the final festival run this, this coming month on our series. Right. And we created a partnership with The Video Project, which is a, a documentary company uh, with Films for the Cause, and they specialize in educational. And along the way, it's like we just uh, – there's a lot of people out there that have components of the system. Uh, they're either pushing social media or digital or cable. And we meet them, and for independent, it, at this point in time, knock on wood, we seem to be the company with the complete system, and we're able to integrate each one of those pieces into our system and enhance their business, and they enhance ours. And synergistically, I, I'd like to believe that we're all advancing the, the independent film world and making more opportunities for quality films and filmmakers. Right. The do-it-yourself distribution movement seems like a pretty popular idea. It's certainly worked in the recording industry. Is it possible for filmmakers to successfully self-distribute it, or do you get to a stage where it becomes so cluttered again that you have a problem? It's, it's a big pet peeve of mine. Like I think do-it-yourself filmmaking is absolutely a reality, and it can be done very well. Do-it-yourself distribution is completely different skill set. It, the relationships that it takes are very different with the theaters, the platforms, and in most cases, they don't have a lot of interest in building a relationship with one person who's going to make one film every six years, maybe. Sure, sure. Uh, and so the models where people are positioning do-it-yourself, to me, I, I call it do-it-assisted uh, you know, distribution because what they're doing is they're promoting that people go out and they raise money on Kickstarter yeah. and then hire consultants that specialize in theatrical booking or they pay the, the print and advertising cost to go through a larger aggregator that has the relationships to get them on there. So at the yeah. end of the day, they're still going through distributors, but they believe they're doing it their own. The only difference is, is that 
They're no. paying for it. And, and I, I still go back to the idea that if your film is actually really good, somebody should be willing to invest in it beyond yourself. Sure. So what's the future of film festival flicks? Where do you end up going? Uh, we, we are uh, continuing to expand across the country. By the end of this year, we'll have monthly events in 24 of the top 40 major markets. Right. And we'll continue to grow from there. We have, through our partnerships, the ability to reach hundreds of theaters with a simulcast every month. And our goal digitally is, uh, from an audience point of view, is to be at a million people that love independent cinema so that we can bring them continued great films, as well as providing resources to any, anything you would imagine you would want to experience at a film festival so that we, if you choose to go, we'll be able to uh, provide all the resources to have an incredible experience and to do it right, even if it's your first time there. Yeah. Well, the digital distribution certainly made a difference, hasn't it? It has. Uh, one person put it very well to me that five years ago, we used the Internet to promote films in theaters, mm -hmm. and now we're putting movies in theaters to drive attention to the Internet. Yeah, I think that's probably true. <laughs> Benjamin, it's been great talking to you. I wish you all the success with with it, I, I I love it. I think it's a great idea, and I think it's um, um, something whose time has come as the industry's changed, and it does give people the opportunity to see great films. I look forward to being on your, being on your mailing list, and uh, it's been good to speak with you. Now, if you'd like you to know, more, thank you. If you'd like to know more about Benjamin, go to filmfestivalflicks.com. That's filmfestivalflicks.com. Com, and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. No Bullshit Business Radio Show, coming to you this week, as usual, from the beautiful city of Los Angeles, where the weather is always 
Magnificent. As you know, this program's heard all around the world, and uh, so we want to thank all our listeners all over the planet. We really appreciate your support. But that is why this email segment, I think, is so well received, because no matter where you are, running a business has the same challenges. And uh, so people in Moscow or in Sydney or in London or in Phnom Penh can get the same out of the answers provided to our listeners that everyone else can. So it's one size fits all. This week's first email comes from Alberto Hernandez from Mexico City. I actually like Mexico City. I think it's a great city. Alberto's email says, Bob, thanks for a terrific show. Business in Mexico is growing very quickly and we don't have access to too many programs that keep us up to date with business internationally. Your show seems to be just the right balance of information of what's happening and practical advice to help us build our business. Please keep it up. You have a very loyal audience in our factory and I promote your show whenever I can at business functions. We're seeking funds to enable us to invest in the business and grow to that next level. And my question is, what do we need to do to prepare ourselves to impress potential investors? Alberto, thanks for your compliments. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we've got a good audience in Mexico. I knew we we did have, but um, I appreciate you saying so. And it's comments like yours that make doing this program worthwhile. Having said that, Alberto, it's not easy to attract investors. The first thing you have to bear in mind is that you need to inspire investors with your enthusiasm and your dedication as well as your knowledge of the business. Where you want to go in the future, where you want to take the business, what you need the investment for, and how you plan to get there once you've got the funds, exactly how are you going to use them efficiently and what um, KPIs have you got along the way? But the first thing you need to do is create a really excellent investor presentation. Now, this is not a business plan, but it's a document that will give the investor confidence that you're going to do everything that you can to deliver on their investment. They need, you know, it's a risk-reward thing for an investor. If I put in X, what sort of return am I going to get and what's the risk? So you need to balance that out against all of the other people that are also trying to get investments from the same investor. But you need to emphasize the need for your service or product and then clearly articulate how you're going to get that market. What are you going to do? What precisely are you going to do with regard to advertising, promotion, customer service, um, events or hospitality or whatever it is that is going to enable you to penetrate the market. So you need to clearly and honestly detail the potential risks. You know, there's always risks, no matter what business it is. And risks are something that bother investors. So you need to spell out clearly what the potential risks are and how you're going to address each of those risks to minimise their potential impact on the company. Of course, you also need to clearly define the investment that you need 
the use of funds and return that you anticipate the customer will receive, the investor is going to receive. Now, once you have the, the investor presentation completed, then you need to work on your personal presentation skills. And it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of practice to generate a really seamless investor pitch. You need to be totally confident of your facts and be able to answer questions very quickly, clearly, concisely, and powerfully. You need to come across as genuine and charismatic so that people will follow you. And you need to explain without too much fluff what your customer is, why there's a need for your product, who your customers are, who your competitors are, why you're different than your competitors, and the specific ways that you're going to get the market. Now, once you've done that, you're almost there. The most important thing is to convince the investor that your business is clearly differentiated from your competitors, that you're enthusiastic, you have what it takes to drive the company, to drive your people, and you have the products that will become successful. Now, potential investors would also like to get an idea of what your business is worth. They need to understand your company's sales, profit margins, what the level of debt you have, and it'll be great benefit to you if you've got them memorised so that you can toss around numbers backwards and forwards. If you don't, then the investor is likely to dismiss you without further discussion. Now, most investors expect a generous return on their investment. You can understand that. It is risky. So if you're seeking $500,000, you probably need to be offering a minimum of, I don't know, one hundred and twenty-five dollars or 150000 a year plus a capital gain. You need to also establish that you have credibility. And this can be done by highlighting future orders from established clients, steady repeat business. You know, and one other thing that I just thought of, investors do not like to see their investment going to pay back debts or back salary. So you need to stay right away from that. And if you're a new company, then the best idea is for you not to receive any remuneration while you're building the business. Um, you know, why should an investor pay for your lifestyle when they what they want to do is pay to get the business going? So, Alberta, if you do nothing but achieve those few things that I've mentioned, then you'll be well on the way to achieving investment in your business. Alberto, I hope that answers your question. As we do for everyone whose emails read on the air, tomorrow we will send you a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, my latest best-selling book. I did mention at the end of the first half that um, we would run a make-your-pitch segment today for Firefly Capital. Unfortunately, the interview um, with John ran a bit long, and uh, so we will bring that to you next week. Now, my second email today comes from Jeffrey Collins of Raleigh, North Carolina. And Jeffrey writes, Dear Bob, I really enjoy your show. It's educating and it's also entertaining. You have a great sense of humour. Thank you. 
I'm working with a startup where there are three partners. I'm wondering if you have any tips to help and guide entrepreneurs along the way. Well, Jeffrey, I see a lot of startups that all have a great business idea, create a terrific business plan and still make very simple mistakes that sink it all. You know, every entrepreneur runs their business in a different way. Some are successful and 98% are not successful. Now, the reason why 98% aren't successful. But I don't think that necessarily means that one way of doing things is better than any other. I think that it really highlights the different abilities that people have. And I'm convinced that, you know, some people are just born to be successful and to make money and others are not. But um, what I'll do is I'll give you one thought now and I'll give you some more thoughts next week. But um, when, you, when you first begin a business, there are a constant stream of ideas being thrown up between the partners and also from other people and you should add this and have you thought about that and why don't you do this and why don't you add this product and Often all these ideas are great, but the problem is that they distract you from the goal that you originally set and that you should be really focusing on. So be very disciplined and consider these other ideas, take them on board, but prioritize them and review them at a later time. You've got to stay very focused. So I'll add some more to this next week because I've thought of a few more things that um, really would be handy to have in consideration. So if you're out there listening, you're a regular listener and you're benefiting from the advice that we give you each week, please tell your friends to listen and go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions and email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. And don't forget to be a contact on LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn all of the time. And don't forget, if you've got a particular guest you would like me to interview or a particular topic you'd like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. We're pleased to have been bringing you this show now since 2011, and uh, we're doing real well. It's really kicking butt. So I'll be with you the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, and we will address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. Thanks for listening to Bob Pritchard. No bullshit. Business radio show for entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week, no matter where you are. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.